as we prepare our hearts for hearing the scriptures, can you please stand? The scripture lesson today comes from Revelation 1, 1 through 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God, or says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his mouth was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. As you can probably tell by now, we're starting a new series today on the book of Revelation, <laughs> entitled Famous Last Words. We're going to spend actually the entire semester in the last book of the Bible because 
I am a glutton for punishment, <laughs> apparently. I think you kind of have to be to preach, uh, I think, what is um, un- inarguably the most confusing and most uh, misunderstood book in the entire Bible. Actually, I, I was uh, surprised this week to find out that over 16 years of ordained ministry, I have never preached one sermon on the book of Revelation. Like, I went to my files, I was like, zero, not even one. And initially, I wasn't planning to preach the whole book. I was going to preach the letter, letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. There are these, uh, these seven letters to the seven churches in Asia, and it makes a really nice seven-week series. But no, I read a book over Christmas break on the book of Revelation by Eugene Peterson. This entitled Reverse Thunder. And he's impacting a lot of what I'm going to share today and throughout the series. And Eugene, this is Eugene's fault. Eugene convinced me that we needed to preach the whole book. Because I've come to believe that the message of the book of Revelation is a message that the church desperately needs right now. And what do I mean? How do I sell it to you? Well, Peterson says that Revelation is like the smelling salts of the Bible. You know those things they put under somebody who's woozy to wake them up? It's like the smelling salts to restore and to stimulate our spiritual senses. It's for those who are spiritually bored. It's for those who are stuck in a spiritual malaise. It's for those who are numb to the splendors of God because of the chronic pain of the world. In other words, me, (laughs) and maybe perhaps you. Listen to Peterson describe his own experience. He says, God's faithfulness, new every morning, finds me heavy-lidded. I am thick-skinned to the Spirit's breeze, dull-eared to the heavenly declared glory of God. Is there no vision that can open our eyes to the abundant life of redemption in which we are immersed by Christ's covenant? Is there no trumpet that can wake us to the intricacies of grace, the profundities of peace, the repeated and unrepeatable instances of love that are under and around and over us? For me, and for so many, St. John's revelation has done it. See, the book of Revelation is here to wake us up to the hidden reality of God's kingdom while we sojourn among the broken kingdoms of this world. It's here to rouse us to the great invisibilities of grace, to break through the familiarity and the fatigue, to inflate insipid faith, to revive diminished hope, to enlarge meager love. I need it. Maybe you do too. Now, this, is, this should probably clue you in to the fact that I don't think that Revelation is primarily about predicting the future. It's probably what you're all wondering. What is this all about? I think so much harm has done, been done to this book by approaching it like a, like a Rubik's Cube, like a puzzle, somehow a mystery to be solved by trying to connect Revelation to current events. Friends, we've got to remember, the book of Revelation was a letter written to suffering Christians in, in churches in Asia. Let me ask you, what good would it do to tell them predictions about future events to happen thousands of years in the future? How does that comfort them? One commentator says it like this. These believers were not primarily interested in the great events of future centuries, so much as in the struggle between light and darkness, the church and the world, Christ and the dragon, truth and error, which was being waged in their own time. The apocalypse is an answer to the crying needs of these persecuted, sorely afflicted believers. 
You see, Revelation, or the Greek word apocalypse, means to uncover. And this doesn't necessarily mean to uncover secrets about the future, but to uncover what's already present right now, but is hidden behind the curtain that divides heaven and earth, the invisible from the visible. See, Revelation is like pulling back that curtain just for a moment to catch a vision of what's really real, what's happening in the spiritual realm right now. It's apocalypse now. Revelation is like retelling the story of the gospel, but as seen from the heavenly perspective. Again, Peterson says it like this. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read the revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. And exercise, imagination is essential to a full-bodied and full-souled life in Christ. Over the Christmas break, I got to go to the immersive Van Gogh exhibit. Have you guys heard about this? If you find yourself lucky enough to be around a city that has it, you should go. It's amazing. What it is, you, you enter into an empty warehouse where you enter in and there are floor-to-ceiling state-of-the-art projections that are paired with these like mood-setting playlists. And it gives you the experience like you are in Van Gogh's paintings. It's amazing. You're surrounded, you're immersed in a way that you could never experience if you were just standing in front of the painting. You see, it's the same Van Gogh, but seen differently. Friends, that's the book of Revelation. It's the same gospel, but seen differently. And that's why God gave us poets, why he gave us artists. That's why a poet gets the last word in the Bible. Because God knows that while we live and we suffer on this earth, that we have to catch a vision of what's happening behind the veil. And where this is all headed when that veil is finally taken away. And so what he does, he invites a poet behind the veil. He says, write what you see and send it to the church. And chapter 1 that we just read tells you how this vision came about. Notice verses 1 to 3 form the prologue. It tells us that what follows is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ from him and about him. Christ is at the center of this revelation. But notice how it came about. God the Father gave the revelation to Jesus in verse 1 to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now soon means already begun. Right now. The kingdom that is inaugurated in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The kingdom that is continued now through the church. The kingdom that would be consummated one day when he comes again. And so God gave it to Jesus and then it says Jesus made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And this is really key because made it known actually means he signified it or to communicate by use of symbols. Therefore, we should expect in this revelation symbolic communication through signs and through patterns and such. See, signified it. John's trying to tell us from the very beginning how to read this book. Not literally, but symbolically, imaginatively, poetically. And so God gave it to Jesus, who signified it by sending his angel to his servant John, who wrote it down as a testimony to us. <laughs> it's just like the divine telephone game. Remember that game where you like whisper a secret and you pass it on, and it's really wrong by the end? Maybe that's not a good illustration. <laughs> Actually, 
This message, though, has been transmitted from God to Jesus to an angel to John to the church, except it's not corrupted like it is when we play the game. It's perfect. And because all this, the prologue is here to remind us that Scripture is not a human invention. It originates with God. It comes to us by divine revelation. These words are God-breathed. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It says these are not the words of men. These are the words of God. Therefore, the prologue says, Blessed, blessed are those who hear it and keep it. We were so blessed to hear these words. And then verses 4 to 8 are the address of the letter. Again, sometimes we forget the revelation as a letter. It's an epistle to specific churches, just like the epistles of Paul and Peter and even John earlier. It is an apocalyptic letter, but it's still a letter. And therefore, we have the standard greeting. Who is it from? From John, the apostle. Who is it to? It's to the seven churches that are in Asia, all of them that were listed by city in verse 11. But brothers and sisters, this is where we start to get into some of the symbolism. Because there were certainly more than seven churches in all of Asia. So why seven? Because seven in the Bible is the number of completion or fullness. Strive from the fact that it took God seven days to complete the creation, to bring it to its fullness. Therefore, though it is written to these specific churches, it is also written to the fullness of the church, to the complete church in all times and all places. That means it's written to you. The message of this letter is just as relevant today as it was to the church in the first century. And then you have the standard Christian greeting, right? Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, symbolism. We should not see this as seven literal spirits before his throne, but as representative of the fullness or the completeness of the Holy Spirit. As the point is this, even in the midst of tribulation and external turmoil, you can have internal grace and peace. Why? Because it comes to you from the Father who rules over the fullness of time, right? Who is, who was, who is to come. It comes from the fullness of the Spirit, the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from the fullness of Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. See, in every age, though Christians be otherwise poor, yet in Christ, we are rich. Every spiritual blessing. The fullness of blessing from the fullness of God to the fullness of the church. So you see what's happening. Even right here in this greeting, we are starting to see the curtain pull back to reveal that things are not always as they seem. There is a different reality in the heavenly kingdom of God. For instance, in the kingdom of this world, kings like Caesar rule. They rule through violence and power and oppression, but in the kingdom of God, Christ rules over the kings of earth. In the kingdom of this world, Christians are often nobodies. They're not wise, they're not powerful, they're not reputable according to worldly standards. But friends, in the kingdom of God, you hear what it said about you? You are kings, you are priests, you are royalty. You've been given access to the most wise, the most powerful, the most noble king that ever existed, God himself. 
In the kingdoms of this world, people act without accountability, like God doesn't see or know the hidden things. But in the kingdom of God, it is a certainty that one day he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Friends, in the kingdom of this world, we are preoccupied, and rightly so, with Delta and Omicron variants. But in the kingdom of God, Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, which means he rules over the whole thing. He's the ruler of all things, and he's present with us even now. See what's happening? He's pulling back the veil so you can see what's real in the kingdom of God. And now in verse 9, we get to the vision itself. But notice that John, like a good pastor, he first identifies himself with his people to whom he is writing this letter. Look at verse 9. He said, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. See, the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus are written in such a way as to communicate they come as a package deal. You don't just get the kingdom without also getting tribulation and therefore requiring patient endurance. And that's the context of this letter. It is written to Christians who are struggling with this complex mixture of kingdom and tribulation, joy and sorrow, blessing and suffering. And that's why I think it's a word we need, because maybe you are right there with them, like me, wondering who is really in control of this world, wondering if God really is present, if he really is good, if he really will make good on his promises. See, Revelation is for heavy-hearted Christians who are asking heavy questions. And John says, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm your partner. I'm your brother in this. In fact, I'm exiled on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. See, because John would not stop preaching the word of God, he was sentenced to exile on the island of Patmos. He was separated from his churches. He was cut off from his ministry. He was sent there as an old man to die in isolation. See, this is literally true for the Apostle John. But exile is also the image used in the New Testament for all Christians. You see, a commitment to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus will make you an exile to this world. It will. You'll be an outsider. You'll be a stranger. More and more relegated to the margins of society. More and more silenced. More and more sentenced to a private religion that is not welcome in the public sphere. You see what's happening? An exile pastor is writing to persecuted Christians to share with them a vision that Jesus gave him. In verse 10, John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which most likely means he was praying on Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It's the weekly commemoration of the resurrection of Christ. He's praying when all of a sudden John is invited back behind the veil. He said a loud voice like a trumpet appeared behind him commissioned him to write what he sees and to send it to the church. And here's the vision the church desperately needs to see. What does John see? What's the first thing he sees in this vision? What is the first thing he needs to show the suffering church? Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And Jesus helpfully actually later interprets this for us in verse 20 by telling us that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches in Asia, which again represents the fullness, the completeness of the church through all time. Now, I think this is fascinating, that there is like a heavenly representation of each church on earth. It's like what the vision is doing is connecting the imperfect church on earth to the perfect church in heaven, to the struggling church on earth, to the glorified church in heaven. I think it's equally fascinating that each church is represented as what? A lampstand, which tells us that our our foundational calling, each church, is to be a light bearer, to bear the light of Christ to the world. So we really are. The light of the world, a city on a hill, shine like stars for all to see the glory of God. For friends, the most important part of this vision is not the lampstands. It's not the church. It's who stands among the lampstands, who dwells amidst the church, and that is the Son of Man. This vision that John receives is like a renewed vision of a famous Son of Man vision that, that happened back in Daniel chapter 7. And it's glorious. It's a terrible sight. It's an awesome sight. Remember, friends, we need to interpret this image symbolically, not literally. So it says he is clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. It means he's clothed with power, with majesty, with awe. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. It means he is holy. He is holy perfection. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His eyes were like a flame of fire. It means he sees all things. All people stand before his watchful gaze. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. It means his foundation is solid and cannot be shaken. His kingdom will endure and it will outlive all other kingdoms. His voice is like the roar of many waters. It means his voice will not be silenced. So you can send John into exile, but God's word will not be silenced. It will roar like a waterfall. From his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His word is a powerful word to prune and to protect his people. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. Remember when they told you not to look at the eclipse? So you wouldn't look at the sun shining in full strength? That's what his face is like. He is radiant in glory. Because here's here's the major point of this vision. See, this is an image of a human figure like us, a son of man, but who is also God, and who is decked out in all the attributes of God. And therefore, it is an image of Jesus Christ. Yes, that same lowly and suffering servant who came on earth, now he's exalted in heaven. This is the all-power and the most glorious God And brothers and sisters, where does he dwell? Where has he taken his stand? Among the lampstands. Among the churches. He is with us. In all of our suffering and all of our sorrow, he is with us. In fact, he holds us in his right hand. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars. What does that mean? Verse 20 tells us. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, which is all to say that he upholds it all. The church, the angels who tend the church, he upholds it in his right arm, in his strong right arm, he holds us up. 
the God who holds together the world. This eternal God from beginning to end has especially made it his purpose to hold together the church in all times and in all places and all circumstances. Brothers and sisters, the most important thing you need as you journey through the complex mixture of kingdom and tribulation, the most important thing you need if you're going to have the patient endurance that is in Jesus is to have this heavenly vision of Christ who powerfully upholds all things and especially his church right now. He was doing it then. He's doing it now. And then notice, what's the first thing that the Son of Man says? You see him. And now he speaks. What does he say to John and through John to us? Verse 17, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Brothers and sisters, this is the vision that can actually take away our fear. That the one who died and now lives again, he holds the keys of death and Hades. When you hold the keys, you own it. He owns life and death. He owns heaven and earth. Therefore, church on earth, do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Over Christmas break, I also got to go see the, the new Spider-Man movie. You guys see it? Yeah, I think millions of people did, so I think you did too. It's called No Way Home, and I loved it, and I won't spoil it. But I love, I love the multiverse stuff. And that's the idea that there are these multiple universes that coexist simultaneously. And each of them have their own timelines and their own villains and, of course, their own Spider-Man or Spider-Woman, as the case may be. I love it. I, I don't know anything about the actual science behind the multiverse theory. It would be great if it's true. But I do know the theology behind the Bible's version of the multiverse and that's this, that there are two realms that coexist simultaneously, and that is heaven and earth. They are intricately related to each other, so much so that the churches on earth are represented by lampstands in heaven, and that the God of heaven actually came down into earth in Jesus Christ to live and to die and to rise again. Revelation is, if you will, the multiverse gospel, because it asks, it asks you to live in this world based on the truths of that world. To let your faith, your hope, and your love be guided, be guided not by a vision of this world, but by a vision of the heavenly one. Because this world will pass away. But that world, God's kingdom, will remain forever. And I don't know about you, but this is enormously good news. Because the American church on earth has not exactly had a, a banner year, or a banner several years, or a decade. It seems like every time we peel back the veil on the church here, all we see is corruption and abuse of power and brokenness that should make us weep. And brothers and sisters, if that is the vision that most fills your eyes, then no wonder so many people are walking away. But if we fill our eyes with the vision of heaven, because when we pull back the veil there, what we see is perfection and holiness and love. The Christ who is with us and upholds us. If that is our vision of what's really real, then we can have the patient endurance that is in Jesus through whatever tribulation comes our way. We fear not, because the exalted and the glorious Christ has taken his stand among the lampstands. 
I'll leave you with the words of another poet of sorts, the author by the name of Marilyn Robinson, who in an article several years ago said that she has become convinced of two massive truths. First, that contemporary America is full of fear. And second, that fear is not a Christian habit of mind. She continues, As children we learn to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And we learn that after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Christ is a gracious, abiding presence in all reality. And in him, history will finally be resolved. Friends, that is the message of Revelation for the church today. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Oh Lord, as we will sing later in this service, we ask that you would be our vision. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save what thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Lord, fill our vision with the vision of Christ and of his heavenly kingdom. Fill our vision with his presence that is with us even now and take away our fear. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.